This is Broken Pledge, a special project of the Columbus Dispatch. It is a story about fraternity hazing, the life and death of Colin Wyant, and a Greek life tradition that has left nearly 100 students dead since 2000. Colin, an 18-year-old honorable student at Ohio University, decided to join the Sigma Pi fraternity a month into his freshman year, but he never made it to the end of the pledging process. In November 2018, Colin died after collapsing in the fraternity's off-campus house. The dispatch spent a year investigating how Colin died and what happened in the aftermath. We interviewed dozens of people, reviewed court records, police reports, and recordings of disciplinary hearings to illuminate the dangers of hazing and the secrecy that surrounds it. In November 2019, a year after Colin's death, the dispatch published a six-part audio story that was heard by tens of thousands nationwide. Since then, the Wyants have tirelessly fought to end hazing and lobby for a law that they hope would spare other families from enduring their pain. I am Sheridan Hendricks. This is Chapter 7 of Broken Pledge. As you listen to this special project, please consider supporting investigative journalism like this by visiting dispatch.com slash subscribe now. They wanted to see remorse. They wanted to hear regret. They wanted to feel compassion from the fraternity brothers for their dead son. But above all, Kathleen and Wade Wyant wanted to know that Colin's life mattered to them. In the summer of 2020, the Wyants would have to sit through seven court hearings of the young men who hazed their son and were with him as he died. The hearings were all virtual due to the pandemic. These were the days of reckoning in Athens County Common Pleas Court for the former Ohio University Sigma Pi fraternity brothers who were all criminally charged in connection with Colin's death. Criminal charges were a rarity involving hazing incidents in Ohio and across the country. The Wyants hoped that the seven Sigma Pi fraternity brothers had actually learned something from this pattern of destructive behavior. Colin was forced to binge drink until he passed out. He was beaten with belts. He was stripped down to his underwear, made to play tackle football with the other pledges in a small room, and hazed in numerous other ways. Then, only three months into his freshman year at Ohio University, Colin died after inhaling nitrous oxide gas from a whippet given to him by a fraternity brother. The seven fraternity brothers all took plea deals and now had the chance to express the remorse the Wyants were hoping for. But at the court hearing on June 23rd, it wouldn't come from former Sigma Pi president Elijah Wahib. Elijah had previously been defiant with university investigators. He led an attempt by the Sigma Pi fraternity to cover up the hazing he allowed to take place. He ultimately pleaded guilty to two counts of felony obstruction of justice, one count of felony permitting drug use, and two counts of misdemeanor hazing. He was sentenced to 31 days in jail for the misdemeanors and had to complete a diversion program for the felony convictions. Toward the end of the hearing, Elijah apologized to the prosecutors and judge before the Wyants. He offered the family very little. Okay, Uh, Mr. Wahid, you have a right to make a statement as well. You are not required to say anything at all, but you do have that right. Uh, Was there anything that you wanted to say before sentencing today? Uh, Yes, Your Honor. Go ahead. I would like to apologize 
to the state and the court for my behavior in this matter. Um, and I would like to extend my sincere condolences to the Wyatt family. About two months later, though, on August 26th, the Wyans heard a different emotional tone at the last two court hearings. The most heartfelt apology came from a sobbing Joshua Andrasak. He had purchased and distributed the whippets the night Colin died. He also tried to perform CPR on Colin when he was dying on the floor. On August 26th, Josh pleaded guilty to one count each of misdemeanor negligent homicide, misdemeanor hazing, felony permitting drug use, and trafficking cocaine, as well as two counts of felony trafficking harmful intoxicants. Josh was sentenced to 70 days in jail for his misdemeanor charges. He would avoid jail time for the felonies once he completed the diversion program. He told the Wyans he was sorry for taking their son from them, and he would think about the loss of his friend for the rest of his life. Mr. and Mrs. Wyan, I was raised very sane to how you raised your son. I've been raised a Catholic man my whole life, and I did do sins in these past couple years that I do regret. One of those was taking your son from you. You raised a hell of a son, and I'm very sorry for your loss. And from the rest of my life, I will try to make good. For the rest of my life, I will try not to take another soul. For the rest of my life, I will try to be a better man. I'm so sorry for what I've done to you. And I hope maybe one day you can forgive me, even if that isn't heaven. He was a hell of a guy, and he was a friend. And I'm so sorry for your loss. The Wyants offered their own comments at each of the Sigma Pi brothers' hearings. They grew weary of the process and weren't sure their plea for them to grow from their son's tragedy would sink in. They simply hoped they could all become better men. Their message to Josh was one of seeking redemption. Thank you, Your Honor. I often think about the defendant trying to administer CPR to Collins, something I really can't get out of my head. I know that has been traumatic, so I wanted to thank him for trying to do that. I also know that, sadly, it was too little, too late. Had the right actions been taken at the right time, we know Colin would be here today. Had the situation never occurred, Colin would be here today. Two years ago this weekend, we were moving Colin to Athens to begin four years of college at Ohio University. We had no idea it was the beginning of the end of his life. Losing Colin's family continues to be painful beyond words for our family. The salt in the wound has been all the lies and all the cover-up and a desperate and disgusting effort for people to protect themselves and protect the fraternity. That has been so painful for us. The defendant has a real opportunity here. He can make the pain of his actions and his lies that he's had on all those who love Colin. He can take that and make the choice to make good of it by sharing his truth with other students in a very genuine, honest, transparent way. We as a family pray that the defendant sees this as a turning point in his life. This is a chance for him to redeem himself and use this as a way to give back. 
But in the hearing for Sigma Pi brother Corbin Gustafson, held on the same day as Josh was hearing, there were mixed emotions. Corbin had called 911 the night Colin died. But the call was made about 10 minutes after Colin first started struggling to breathe. He was originally charged with reckless homicide, but prosecutors say that was wrong. Prosecutors praised Corbin for his full cooperation in the investigation. They said the original charge was reduced because new evidence revealed that Corbin attempted to help Colin immediately. He sought help at the house from others present when Colin died, and he showed genuine concern leading up to the 911 call. Corbin ultimately pleaded guilty to one count of permitting drug use and avoided any jail time. He was sentenced to completing a diversion program and speaking at four civic organizations to warn them about the dangers of hazing. But Athens County Common Pleas Judge George McCarthy wasn't thrilled with the plea deal. There was still a dead teenager. And still, many failures of all involved, including the universities and Greek life organizations, who didn't do enough to stop a tradition that continues to kill. The judge was angry, and he didn't hold back in his comments. No parent should have to go through this, Mr. Gustafson. I don't know how many times it's appeared in the past or it's reached this level in the past, but it's the most, probably the most significant thing parents worry about when sending their kids to school is exactly this situation and this ridiculousness that we find us before the court here today. There are certainly enough things going on with just um, overconsumption of alcohol without getting to this stage of doing something as reckless as what led to Mr. Wyan's death in this particular case. I am not pleased whatsoever that you're uh, that you were a brother in this fraternity that allowed it to get to this stage because I'm guessing Mr. Wyan wasn't the only one who was partaking in this type of recreational activity. I guess I find it disturbing that as a brother in the fraternity that anybody would let it reach this level when you guys are charged with taking care of one another and especially taking care of your pledges. It's absolutely horrendous. And I don't know where the breakdown is in the system where that's left common sense by the door when uh, members of a fraternity or sorority engage in such acts that leads to the death of one somebody trying to join uh, their organization. I do appreciate the fact that you did try to call 911. Had it been a little more timely, it may have uh, made the ultimate difference, uh, but it did not here. At the end of the court hearings, the Wyans were happy with how Athens County Prosecutor Keller Blackburn handled the criminal cases. They were pleased that Blackburn was one of the few prosecutors in the nation who held a group of fraternity brothers accountable for hazing. But in the end, did the Wyans really feel like they received justice for Colin? No, because I don't have him back. That's the only thing that could make this okay for me. Twenty twenty was the kind of year most people wanted to forget, one filled with loss, uncertainty, and isolation. But it was especially hard for the Wyatt family. They were still learning to live with the grief of losing their son and brother. Kathleen and Wade still had their careers. There were four other children to love and nurture. There was the continuing civil lawsuit relating to Colin's death. There were the court hearings. There was an anti-hazing foundation established in Collins' name to watch over. And there was new legislation introduced by lawmakers called Collins Law, 
that would, among other things, make hazing a felony in Ohio. The demands for their time and energy seemed endless. It would have been easy to give up, or at least take a step back from it all. But as soon as they lost Colin, Wade and Kathleen promised themselves, and each other, they would honor their son by waging war against hazing in any way they could. And when they are exhausted or having a bad day, Wade in particular thinks of an anonymous note they received a couple of years ago. The note told them to give up. Well, we got this one odd letter, and from time to time, when I'm feeling really down, I think about this letter that kind of fires me up. It was a very interesting letter. It was anonymous, no return address, handwritten, one page, and it basically said, hey, these court proceedings and everything really take a long time, trust me, and it'll test all your relationships, and this is really going to be hard. Just think about, you know, having some kind of life moving forward and celebrating your son and and really think about just, you know, kind of dropping all of that. I don't know if you remember this. Remember mm-hmm. that? And we looked at each other and we said, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> that letter, I don't know where it was sourced from, but we looked at that and I think we've still got it on file somewhere. I, I know we do. And, you know, that just fueled us and said, we will never, ever, ever give up because we owe that to him. We're going to make sure that we save some lives. And so Colin wouldn't want us to do that. He wasn't a quitter. That kid was a fighter, always. And so is Colin's mom. On top of everything else weighing down on her life, Kathleen was offered her biggest stage yet to denounce hazing, the chance to give a TEDx talk. The powerful, short talks, ranging on a variety of topics, are watched by millions of people every year. It would be her chance to warn other students and parents. A chance to expose a culture that continues to hurt and kill people under the cloak of secrecy. A chance to convince a mass audience that hazing isn't fun and games. But the excitement of giving the speech was soon met with the daunting work that goes into it. There were endless hours alone with her thoughts before Kathleen came up with the words she wanted. She practiced giving the speech alone on her phone. She watched it over and over, hoping it honored her son in the way she wanted. The TED Talk coaches would offer guidance once a month. And Kathleen had a friend in Illinois who was a professional speaker who patiently helped her revise her presentation. But it was mainly alone in her room where she would practice the speech more than 200 times. Wade and her sons Austin and Aiden didn't want to listen. It would be too painful to hear in advance. Their daughters Olivia and Ava listened a few times, though. Wade made sure to bring extra Kleenexes for him and Ava when the talk was taped at Wright State University in October of last year. Kathleen's 13-minute TED Talk finally went live on November 12th, the anniversary of Colin's death. Her speech attacks the misconceptions most have about hazing. We don't realize it's widespread nature because the only time we hear about hazing is when there's a death and it makes the news. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. What you're not seeing are all the kids who are traumatized by hazing in different ways. When we hear a story in the news about a hazing death, we immediately think of how horribly sad and tragic that is. But if you're like I was, there's something else you may be thinking, something you wouldn't dare say to me. 
that the truth is these are the kids with low self-esteem, no backbone. They're weak. They're needy. They can't stand up for themselves. Otherwise, they would have walked away. You'd say all the things I would have said before my own son died from hazing. Since then, I've learned a lot. See, if you ask people who knew Colin, you would hear that he was strong, both physically and mentally. In the speech, she eventually challenges those in power to do more. It's been two years since I received that knock at my door. Since then, I have vowed to do everything I can to prevent another family from experiencing the pain and loss my family has experienced. It's going to take courage on the part of more legislators to increase penalties for hazing so law enforcement and legal authorities can treat hazing allegations as seriously as other crimes like domestic violence that use emotional manipulation to keep their victims silent and uses the appearance of consent to keep outsiders from interfering. And last, it's going to take courage from all of us to ask the uncomfortable questions of those groups when we suspect hazing's taken place. The speech ends with Kathleen wishing that she could go back to one conversation with Colin, the one they had before he left for college, where Kathleen talked to him about hazing, even though at the time he wasn't planning on joining a fraternity. If I could go back to that conversation, I would want him to know that hazing builds so slowly, you're unaware it's even happening. I would want him to know that when new members are separated out from existing members and asked to do things differently in a way that you wouldn't otherwise choose, that's the minute hazing's begun. That's the minute you leave. While Kathleen and Wade were on the front lines of dealing with the fallout of Colin's death, their oldest son, Austin, remained in the shadows of his own grief. The 26-year-old Austin, who lives in Chicago, didn't want to be involved in the lawsuit or the court cases or hear more details about what had happened to his little brother. Colin and Austin were close. Austin was Colin's mentor. And for more than a year, Austin wrestled with the guilt he created in his own mind. As the older brother, he felt it was his responsibility to protect Colin. It was his job to guide him into the future. It took him a long time to work through the blame he put on himself and realize he shouldn't have had those feelings in the first place. Keeping his distance from the fallout of Colin's death has helped Austin find some peace. Like, like I'm not interested in the facts of like how my brother died, the timing, like, you, you know, for me, I know my brother's not here anymore and he's never going to be back and I'm never going to see him again. And so like, that's all I need to know. Austin wasn't the only one in the family who blamed himself for Colin's death. Wade too was angry at himself for not getting Colin out of Sigma Pi sooner. He felt responsible that he wasn't there for his son the night that he died. It took over two years and some counseling for Wade to stop carrying that burden around. Yeah, I recently started doing some therapy. That's not something that you could control. It's not your fault. And stop kind of beating yourself up about that. That all comes from the built-in protection that you have as a parent. 
you want to be this shield over your kids. So I've, I've kind of forgiven myself a little bit for that, but I still do, um, I do struggle with that. Holidays and Colin's birthday, of course, have been hard for the Wyatt family the past two and a half years. But no date on the calendar is harder than November 11th. Colin actually died on November 12th, but it's the looming day before the anniversary of his death that makes Kathleen feel almost sick to her stomach. The first anniversary almost broke the family. So Kathleen promised herself that she wouldn't let the second one feel as awful. They had planned a family trip, but COVID ruined it. So instead, they went to mass in the morning and ate dinner together at night. They had Colin's favorite, boneless wings from Rooster's Restaurant. They tried to remember the good times, but it was just as bad as the first anniversary. At least they were hunkered down together. It was one of the few good things about the pandemic. And you know, the, the whole of not having Colin in our life seems even bigger this year for some reason. And I think every year that will continue to grow too, because, you know, we just, it's like, wow, all the things you realize that they're not here for, that they're not getting to do. It's just, it grows. It's always growing. You know, next month will be, should be his 21st birthday. That's very hard for us to know that he won't get that. But on Colin's birthday, the family reminds pieces of the world what kind of young man he was. Each member of the family performs a good deed in Colin's honor. They then gather at dinner and share their experiences. They give money to a church or purchase basketballs for inner city hoops teams or stuff the tip jar at Colin's favorite restaurant. It's hard. There's so many things I want people to like know about Colin. And, and a lot of it starts with his personality and his his, you know, his traits of honesty and character. But I guess I've always loved like people remembering Colin at Miracle League. That's the charity he was involved with for uh, special needs sports. And um, there's just a plaque there. And I guess, I guess that's how I like him to be remembered in that light. Meanwhile, lawmakers were doing what they could to end hazing in Ohio. It would be called Collins Law. It would give prosecutors the hammer they needed to put those who harm someone with hazing in prison. It would make hazing a felony instead of a low-level misdemeanor, or about the same offense as not paying a speeding ticket. The hope would be that House Bill 310, the Anti-Hazing and Anti-Bullying Act, would be a deterrent for those in Greek life, athletics, and other organizations. A deterrent to stop forcing pledges to drink alcohol or beat them with spiked paddles, or make them get naked and lock them in a dark room for hours. It was introduced in 2019, not long after Colin died. The lawmakers who sponsored the bill were horrified by what happened with Colin. They wanted to do something that would hopefully prevent other families from the same agony. But to get the proposed legislation passed, the lawmakers would need the Wyants. They would need their time more time than Kathleen had. But for 18 months, she found it. There were endless phone calls, texts, emails, and Zoom calls with lawmakers and other stakeholders, especially the bill's sponsors, Ohio State Senator Stephanie Kunze and now former state representative David Greenspan, both Republicans. There was so much to learn about politics and the legal system and all the red tape that can bog down a new law. Kathleen had no experience with any of it, 
only the fuel of a grieving mother determined to fight hazing in her son's memory. This whole process outside of losing Colin, which obviously mm-hmm. is the hardest thing, but outside of that, this work on Colin's Law has been the hardest thing I've ever done because, you know, I'm out of my element here completely and I'm having to figure it out where I go. God keeps putting the, the right people in my life that are helping me and guiding me, but it has been very difficult. After all her work, all the prayers, and the excitement over a bill that had bipartisan support, Kathleen's big day had arrived. The bill had passed through the Ohio House of Representatives just before Thanksgiving, and on December 16, 2020, Kathleen testified in front of an Ohio Senate committee that was holding a hearing for the Anti-Hazing and Bullying Act. It was a cold, windy day, and Wade was more nervous than his wife when they arrived in downtown Columbus at the Ohio State House. Their daughters, Ava and Olivia, joined them. Kathleen was the first witness. All that practicing for the TED Talk and all the other talks with student groups and other parents about the dangers of hazing had prepared her for this moment. She was ready. On November 12th, 2018, I was asleep when I woke to a knock at the door. I answered to find two police officers and a chaplain telling us that our sweet Colin was found dead at a fraternity house. That's all we knew. As months went by, we began to learn that for the last weeks of Colin's life, Colin was sleep-deprived, beaten, belted, waterboarded, and forced drugs. Colin was hazed. All of this was done in the name of brotherhood. There's no place in brotherhood or a civilized society for hazing. Colin's death was senseless, and it was tragic. But what is most painful to me is that it was avoidable. The people in the room could feel Kathleen's anguish. It had been more than two years since Colin died, but the pain in her eyes was fresh. She reminded the committee that hazing isn't exclusive to fraternity or sorority houses. It's used in marching bands, honor societies, theater groups, and even church groups. There are an estimated 1.5 million high school students hazed each year. Only an estimated 5% of hazing incidents are reported. And hazing snowballs from acts most think are harmless or cute into those that can kill. Hazing starts with a small harmless act, something that has no danger associated with it, like having to do someone's laundry. By the time it builds, the victim is in too deep, They're humiliated by their participation, so they just wait it out because they think it's almost over. But in reality, it continues, and it gets worse and worse. You never know when it's going to spiral out of control and become dangerous or even deadly, like in Khan's case. It's a game of Russian roulette. But make no mistake, hazing is not an accident. It's deliberate, it's planned, it's premeditated. It's an intentional process of emotional manipulation that gives the appearance of consent to keep outsiders from interfering. To make matters worse, our laws in Ohio fail to provide serious consequences for these acts. Imagine I brought two individuals before you that were both guilty of a misdemeanor offense. One had a parking ticket. The other made a young man chug an entire bottle of hard alcohol, didn't allow him to sleep for long periods of time, and forced illegal drugs on him, risking injury or even death. Wouldn't you question laws that allowed this to go on with the only likely punishment being a fine? 
Wouldn't you question why Ohio has not stepped up like other states to prevent losing our best and brightest leaders of tomorrow to something so heinous as hazing? Every day that goes by, we grieve our sweet boy. Kathleen nailed it. She could see the emotion on the committee members' faces. They seemed to receive her message as parents more than politicians. There would only be a couple of witnesses following Kathleen and then the vote on Collins' law. But after a brief delay, the committee began proceedings on a different bill. There was confusion, then panic. What just happened? Why aren't they voting on Collins' bill? Is it over? Kathleen stepped out into the hallway and was asking questions of anyone she could find. The bill was dead. And no one outside of the committee seemed to know why. Wade, Kathleen, and their girls were stunned when they left the state house and got into their car. Kathleen frantically sent texts and made calls to find out what the hell happened. The reality was that there were complications with the bullying components of the bill. Senators had more questions than they had time to get answered by the end of the year. Simply put, they ran out of time. The Wyans quickly realized their fight to pass Collins' law would have to begin anew in 2021. You know, I'm on the call, on the phone, in the car, frantically calling all the people who've been helping me in this process saying, wait, I don't understand. What do I do now? How can we get this through? And, you know, then explain, well, we got to go around again at next GA. And then I just learned that, you know, I I may have to keep doing this. I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to keep doing it. But about two months later, even before a new version of the law could be introduced, the Wyatt's worst fear became reality another Central Ohio family would suffer their same fate. Square County 911, what is your emergency? Hi, um, someone that we know is uh, non-responsive. He drank alcohol, like a lot of alcohol, so. Okay, do you see his chest rising at all? She said, does you see his chest rising? I don't see it rising. On the next episode of Broken Pledge, another Central Ohio family loses their son to hazing. The Fultz family suffers the same tragedy as the Wyants, but their crusade to end hazing begins shortly after their son's funeral. If you want to learn more about this project and the dangers of hazing, please visit dispatch.com slash broken pledge. Until next time, I'm Sheridan Hendricks. Thank <laughs> you.